Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. All right, welcome everybody. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella, and I have a very, very special guest that I'm bringing on today, John Martinez. What's going on, John? Not much, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. I'm trying my best to digest all of the information that you teach. Yeah. And um, it's definitely been, been a wake-up call for me because I've spent you know, millions of dollars on marketing and just kind of trying to think about how we can convert at a higher, a higher percentage. Um, so if you can, can you give our audience a little bit of background about where you came from and what you do now and how that fits into the real estate investing platform? Yeah, yeah, happy to. So, um, you know, I ended up in real estate investment, I think like a lot of people, kind of by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, first 20 years or so of my career was uh, in, in sales in some form or fashion. So started uh, in my early teens as a salesperson, a telemarketer, kind of worked my way up through the ranks, started managing sales teams, uh, got into corporate America, started to uh, recruit, manage, work my way into VP of sales positions, um, and then eventually opened up my own sales training company. Uh, along the way, I was doing some work for um, redoing some scripts and training for a call center that caters to investors. And um, they called an investor and he said, hey, you guys call me all the time. Something's changed. What's going on? We got introduced. And that's how I kind of got my first um, my introduction into, into real estate. I had no idea that the whole world even existed. So uh, from there, real estate kind of took over my business. I started working with this gentleman in Houston. He was a wholesaler. Um, he introduced me to some of his friends. Before I knew it, I was in the Collective Genius Mastermind, surrounded by a, a lot of uh, higher level investors, mm-hmm. uh, at least that have been doing it for a while and have their systems pretty dialed in. Um, that was probably three, three and a half years ago. And today uh, we're training, shoot, probably, uh, I think we've got three to 400 people enrolled in our current training session, probably have trained 200 or so investment groups around the country. So that's kind of where I started and, and how I got here. So it's pretty interesting because as as an investor, and I think most investors will attest to this, it's pretty easy. And those of us who have been in the business for a while have got all of our other systems down pretty well. Like the marketing piece, every good investor has a really good marketing system. Um, The investing piece, every good investor knows what they can pay, um, knows what they can't pay. They know the comps. Every good investor has access to capital or access to buyers who can buy the properties um, if they're wholesaling deals. Very few investors have a sales process down on the face-to-face appointments. Now, I know that, but have you seen that as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, well, kind of. I mean, if I, I'll draw a differentiator. So yeah. um, what I see is a lot of investors, when they start, they're wearing all the hats, right? So they're running all the sales calls and, and all that kind of stuff. And when they do that, they end up with the sales system. It's Basically, they do the same stuff every time. They know which way to direct an appointment. They know how to respond to certain stuff. So I think when they're kind of a one-man show or one-woman show, they do have a sales system. I think where it kind of falls apart is when they start to scale and hire people, then um, then what happens is they don't know how to get that knowledge out of their head because they learn it kind of on the fly, on the go yep. over 
hundreds and hundreds of appointments. And then it's time to train someone and they just say, kind of just watch what I do and try to pick it up. And I think that's the disconnect. I think that's where most struggle is a lot of them develop their own sales system. Uh, but when it's time to scale, I think that's when the, the wheels kind of fall off the bus. So that's kind of where I'm at. So I've got a, a 200 person uh, real estate brokerage and I've basically um, the way that I do my model is that when we're going out there, we're giving cash offers, but we're also have the ability to list their home when it doesn't make sense. So in a lot of cases, we'll go out there, properties in perfect condition. They don't need to sell to an investor. They don't want to sell to an investor. They were just hoping that we would come out there as investors and give them, you know, fair market value, which obviously, you know, in most cases can't happen. So um, I'm realizing the big need and the huge difference that it's making to get my salespeople trained the right way. And the mistake that I personally made, and this probably doesn't fit any of your other clients, is making the assumption that people who have been in sales for a long time have a really good sales process already and that I wouldn't need to train them. Right. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm, I'm working on right now from all the way from brand new person who comes onto my team all the way up to someone who's been in the business for 15 or 20 years, because having real estate agents take these appointments definitely is a different way to do it. And it presents some really good opportunities, but it also presents some own some of its own challenges. So we've got brand new people that we're training to prospect for us. You talked about cold calling. We have many of our new agents that will just hit the phones and then they get out face-to-face -face on some of these seller appointments and they have no idea what to do. And then we have experienced agents who go out face-to-face -face on these appointments and they're not used to giving a cash offer. They're only used to giving a listing presentation. And this is, you know, totally different from that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of pieces to what you said right there. Um, you know, first to address uh, retail agents going out for the investment deal, uh, tremendous opportunity there, but also some big challenges because it's a, you know, listing a property is, is more transactional. It's, it's um, the values right on the surface. It's very easy to, to um, you know, display or, or to, to share with someone. Um, when we talk about an investment deal, you're talking about a complex sale um, and you're talking about really having to be consultative and building a tremendous amount of value other than money, right? When you list, you can say, hey, I'm going to get you the most money. But when you're buying an investment deal, it's not about getting you the most money, right? The most money, there's a dozen other options or maybe even investors who are willing to pay more. It's a value play. So it's a completely different sale. And it's hard to get a retail agent to shift from I'm going to get you the most money to I'm going to provide value because it's two totally different sales. Mm -hmm. uh, can't be done, but it's just a challenge. Yep. Um, you know, another piece of that is when we look at salespeople, you mentioned at the beginning, hey, you know, I thought I'd just, just, just hire people who've already been in sales. Yeah. We look at, at salespeople who are out there selling, somewhere between three and 5% actually have what it takes to be good salespeople. A lot of them just fall into the role because people need salespeople. They get hired on as salespeople. They do good enough. But when we look at things like sales DNA, so whether or not they've got a, a supportive or non-supportive buy cycle, whether they have any uh, reservations talking about money in large numbers, um, whether they get emotionally involved in the sales, sales DNA, very few have what it takes. When, it, when you talk about sales maturity and the sales process, again, you put all those things together, three to 5% of people out there selling really have what it takes to be stellar salespeople. So this is something that I, I probably haven't even got to in your training. So you also help people determine who should who they should be hiring as well? 
Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's made up of those components I just listed, right? You've got, you've got kind of the raw talent, the DNA. There's some stuff that will prevent people from becoming good salespeople. So uh, one of the big ones I mentioned were non-supportive buy cycles. So all that means is this, we sell the way we buy. So if you have salespeople who, uh, when they go to buy an appliance or a piece of furniture or something like that, they shop around and they're online checking prices and they you know, go to a dozen different stores before they make a decision. When you're in there, when they're in there to, to buy a house and they get a, hey, I want to check with these other people, I want to do some research, mm. they, they've already, they're preconditioned to accept that because that makes sense in their world, right? Yeah. It's ruined with the way they think. So those people are going to get a lot higher uh, percentage of appointments ending in maybes and think it overs rather than someone who can make a decision quickly, uh, just, just is more decisive overall. So those are the types of things we look at as, as raw DNA. And then sales maturity, that comes with time. Sales process can be taught. So the core thing we, we start with is, is that DNA. Do, do they have the building blocks to become right in, the, in a sales role of some kind? And you're saying that 3 to 5% of the people have the DNA or 3 to 5% have the DNA plus will be able to implement the other parts of it? Total package. So, yep. you know, we partner with a company that's been doing these types of assessments. It's called psychometric assessments to stack all these things up. When you're looking at the DNA plus the skill set um, plus sales maturity, um, so that's what we use. We use a third party to do that, that. That's really good. So when we stack all that up, three to five percent. So you know, if we if we run shoot 20, 30, 40 people through the assessment, we'll get one or two sometimes that that hit with a this person can and will sell for you. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so the other people you would just completely take off the table if it was you? 100%. Absolutely. And I, I didn't used to feel that way. Um, I've been, you know, in sales management for a long time. So you do something for so long, you, you start to feel like, you know, I see something in this person or this person or this person. So early on, I would see my own sales teams would hire people that the assessments would tell me not to hire. Mm -hmm. Always gone. Never work out. Three to yeah. six months, they're in the bottom half of the sales force if they're there at all. The yeah. people that the assessments say to hire, six, three months, six months, they're there, they're in the top half percent. So um, the assessments we use, um, I, I can't take any credit for them because another gentleman um, developed them 20 years ago and has been refining it ever since. But uh, what we see on average is a 97% success rate uh, with how they, they kind of uh, look at candidates and make a recommendation or don't recommend. So give me kind of, I know the answer to this, but what are the reasons that you're seeing that other investors nationwide want to bulk up their, their sales staff? How are they using it? Yeah. Using the assessment? No, use, um, they want to build a sales force. Like they're coming to you. What, what is the, the main reason why they want to do that? Right. So the main reason I see is they want to get out of the parts of the business they don't like doing. So sales is very, um, it consumes a lot of time. It's um, a lot of mental energy. Um, sales call after sales call can be emotionally and mentally draining. I mean, when you run a sales call the right way, it is hard freaking work. It takes everything out of you to, to be on point and do all the things that you should be doing. Mm -hmm. um, you should be sleepwalking through it. So most of them, uh, that, that's probably the number one reason is, hey, I love the business, but I don't want to be in five houses a day. So mm -hmm. I'd love to replace myself there. Yep. The other part of that is just, just scaling. Hey, I want to grow the business and I might even enjoy doing the appointments, but I'm the bottleneck in this thing. If I don't train other people to do what I can do, I'm never going to grow because I can only buy so many houses. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so one thing I want to get your opinion on when you're going out there, you're meeting with a seller, you're making them an offer. Do you train people to make it, you have to make a decision that day or do you leave it with, it's okay to make a decision later. And how do you get to that point where you're getting them to make a decision face to face? So a lot of pieces to that. So I'll cover it on, on a very high level. Uh, first to answer the, the core question there, um, do you leave it as an open-ended kind of offer? Uh, the answer is yes and no. So no, you never leave it as an open-ended offer, but it doesn't have to be right now, right? So the investors we work with, um, some of them, you know, the way I do it, um, and I, I personally do my houses all over the country and uh, for in my own market in Springfield, Missouri, but also to train people, I go and hop in cars with people. Mm-hmm. And um, when I do it, it's right now. It's, it's kind of do or die. Um, and we, we have certain techniques we use to take all the pressure off. So it's not like a high pressure, hey, give me an answer now type of thing. Um, but that's how I do it. But there's other markets who use our systems very, very effectively. And it might be three days, five days, seven days. There just has to be a cutoff for a couple of different reasons. Um, if there's no time where the offer expires, no one will ever make a decision. This is a tough decision. It's a complex decision. So objections will stay hidden. Objection, you know, we'll want to think about it. If we just look at our own lives, really, we never know, at least I don't, I don't make a huge decision until it's time to. If I've got a huge, complex decision, I take yeah. my time and I only make it when it's time to. Now, in order for that to work, there's a ton of stuff you got to do on the front end. You got to think about all the reasons why a decision's delayed. You got to make that decision crystal clear. So there's a lot of work to do on the front end before you ever get to that point to make sure you can get a clear yes or no. When you do all those things correctly, you can get a clear yes or no almost every single time. So it's you're, you're looking at the motivation, right? Amping up the urgency to take action, making sure you're targeting you know, the, the right motivations and not just assuming. And then getting really crystal clear on uh, getting them crystal clear on the motivation. A lot of people just know they have an issue or know they have to accomplish something, but they've never taken the time to think about how in the world is this actually impacting me or the ones I love or how I spend my time or what I think about and stress about. And when you make that clear, motivation and urgency is up. The other part of that prep on the front end is, is we call them deal killers, but, but objections is the more common term, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, different fears. Am I leaving money on the table? Is someone going to get upset? Am I going to upset a relationship? Um, what's the risk factor and how much risk am I comfortable with? So you got motivation and then all those risks are deal killers. And when you deal with all of those on the front end, you can and relieve all the press sales pressure along the way. You can get to the tail end of a sales call and get a lot more yes or no decisions than most salespeople are used to getting. I'm surprised you didn't mention the upfront contract. Yeah. So, you know, every sales system out there from Miller Hyman to Sandler to ours, um, shoot, we probably studied 20 of them and everyone has a version of what you call, Sandler calls it the upfront contract. Oh yeah. You um, call it advanced agreements, right? Advanced agreements, setting the stage, um, really every great sales system out there. Like I said, I think we've studied about 20, um, has some version of this and they do because it's really effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just kind of the first step you take when relieving pressure. So pressure on a sales call is what guy what leads people to fight or flee. In other words, if someone feels pressure from a salesperson, they're going to get a little hostile, um, a little snippy with you, or they're going to flee, which means they're just going to want to get out of that sales call as quickly as possible. They're not going to share information. So relieving pressure is a huge part of any sales call. And there's an easy way to do it right off the start by just saying, 
hey, here's a question you probably have. How long is this thing going to take? What's going to happen during it? And am I going to be one of those, you know, never say die salespeople at the end and try to hard sell you into something? So you just address those things. Hey, here's how long it's going to take. Here's what we're going to do. What do you want to make sure that we cover too? By the way, at the end of this thing, if it makes sense, we'll figure out what the next step is. If it doesn't make sense, listen, no sweat. I don't buy every house I walk into. We'll just call it what it is. No, no, no sweat, no pressure. So mm-hmm. that's, that's, all, that's a version of it. Yeah, I love that. I'm trying to work that into with my sales reps now because it's very common. They'll go out there and they just can't get a decision made. So we're, we're working on setting the upfront, uh, upfront contracts to make sure that we, we get to a yes or a no one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a vital part of just opening up open, honest communication, really. So absolutely. So talking about hiring somebody to do this for you, if everything's hitting, everything's firing on all cylinders, you hire the person that fits that personality profile and the person puts an effort. How long are we talking about before they're maybe not at a hundred percent capacity, but getting fairly close to there? It's a matter of a couple weeks, if not days. Um, wow. The last salesperson I personally hired for the Springfield and St. Louis market here in Missouri was kind of my territory. Um, I think within three days, we had him up and running. Um, first month on the job, I think he had 14 contracts. Second month, he was pushing 17 or so uh, and has maintained that consistency for the last nine months or a year. Mm. And when you hire them, what percentage of the time do they have any sort of real estate background and does that matter to you? doesn't matter to me at all. It's very rare. Um, it, it's not about, you know, it, it's the DNA. Uh, that's what I'm looking for. The rest can be taught, you know. Uh, in fact, it's sometimes dangerous to hire someone with too much real estate experience mm-hmm. because, um, especially in this industry, so if we talk about the type of sales call you have when going to buy houses, it's an uncomfortable sales call. Sometimes the environment's uncomfortable, right? We were in some, some places we're not usually in. Sometimes it's a different personality type and mm-hmm. we're not usually dealing with. Sometimes you just know whatever offer you have, it's going to upset them. So there's all these variables that make it a very uncomfortable situation. So when salespeople are uncomfortable, to get them through that, they oftentimes rely on their base knowledge. What am I, what I really know? What can I talk about? So instead of having the right sales conversation, people with too much experience We'll start talking about construction and all this different stuff about the market that really has nothing to do with this person's situation mm. in the right conversation, but just really about real estate in general. And it gets them no closer to the finish line, but it's the most comfortable thing to talk about when that's really your expertise. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I mean, I think the biggest thing that we struggle with is when we go out there, instead of building rapport, we're talking about how old their roof is and, you know, what the neighborhood's like. And I I always say to the people, and again, this is partly in due to to the training that you have is like, that's not the type of stuff that we, that we care about because it's not going to get us where we need to go. Right. I agree hundred percent. Let's take a quick break from the episode to get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors. Join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. So you take somebody on, you get the right DNA. um, They're ready to go. You said it can be a pretty quick learning process. How does that go on your team? Like, are they watching videos? Are they going out face to face? Are they role playing? What does that kind of look like? Yeah, for, for me personally, it's two components. I want them to have some type of base 
level of knowledge about what we're going to do. So I don't waste all of my time teaching everything that's already been documented. So I have them watch some core videos on sales process, this industry. I have them listen to a couple of sales calls. So, hey, this is what you're going to hear in there. This is what to expect. And then we hop in the car together. Uh, at first, it, what happens is all they do is observe. So I'm in, I prep them. Hey, here's the kind of call we're going on. Here's what we know. Here's our mission. We do the call. They do nothing but watch. They don't say a word except for hello when we get there. After the call, we do a debrief. Uh, hey, here's what happened. Did you notice this? Here's why we went this way. And we break down the sales call. We continue to do that for a number of sales calls. But along the way, we start to switch responsibilities, switch roles. So they might start with that upfront contract or advance agreement or setting the stage. And then I take over. They might pitch in on one or two parts. Um, and slowly but surely, they end up taking over the entire sales call until we're going on sales calls and I'm just introducing myself at the beginning and staying silent throughout, not interrupting even when I know they're making mistakes. You can't save a salesperson. You got to let them find their own way. We handle it in the debrief. Um, so that's, that's you know, kind of how we roll out the training and how we get people up to speed pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So... Um it's a combination of, of them watching some of the stuff you've already documented, some of it's your, your face-to-face with. When do you know that the person's not the right fit? Like, are, do you have it so tailored now that you're not really making a lot of mistakes on the higher part, or is it some part you do need to see what they're doing? Right. When you get the right hire, um, when you use that you know, scientific approach to make sure you get the right person, you run into having the wrong person a lot less. It, it still will occasionally happen, but most of that's done on the front end. Um, you'll know pretty quickly. It's, it's not a matter of, you know, I, I deal with investors who will be, hey, I've been wondering about letting go my salesperson for six months. If you've been wondering about letting them go for six months, let them go. Yeah. Right? It's, um, the, the, I try to simplify, I mean, what I'm trying to say is, you know, quickly, um, don't hold on to them for too long. What, what I, the way I try to always simplify it, because I get that question a lot about existing sales force is uh, I just ask, Hey, if this person was no longer working for you, right. Knowing everything, you know, right now, and they came in and they applied for the position again, would you hire them? Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd hire them again in a minute. Keep them. If it's no, I get someone else. You shouldn't be keeping them. You need to let them go. Now, what, what the problem with that is, um, and I just want to speak on this for, for about 60 seconds because it, it's really important. It's going to help a lot of people out with this, this aspect. A lot of people keep poor salespeople for far too long because they're afraid of, you know, maybe they're better than the next person I get, or I don't want to be doing it, so I'm just going to hold on to them. The way to relieve all that is to constantly be recruiting. The leader of your sales organization, your sales manager, or the leader of the business has to always be recruiting for new talent. Because if you've got people on your bench, you know, saying, put me in coach, you will get rid of um, people without the talent necessary to succeed a lot quicker than if you have no one sitting on the bench ready to go in. So yeah, I, I made that mistake. The first person I, I ever hired, um, he, he doing fairly well, all of a sudden stopped, stopped doing well. I didn't have anybody sitting there ready to go. And so now uh, I've got 200 agents, 200 agents isn't enough. You, I, I feel like they, there's, a, I'm serious. Like, I mean, not all 200 people take my leads, but I, I always feel like you always have to be looking for somebody else for the typical, not looking for somebody else, have people that are ready and ready to go into the game. Just like, I mean, you're not a new England guy, but for, for anybody who's in new England, watching Bill Belichick, I mean, how, how does he handle his process? Right. Next yeah. man up, 
the, the, the guy who's the backup is just as well prepared as the starter. Right. right. And if, if there's an issue with the starter, you've got the backup and you are confident in that backup. You're not, you're not waiting for the starter to mess up to start training the backup. Right. So um, with, with that being said, for the average investor, what does that look like when you're talking about constantly recruiting? Tell me about what that process should look like in a best case scenario. So I've got a really simplified version. Um, what I do is I just keep my, my, my eyes open for people I think will fit the role. Um, so my last sales guy actually sold me a car. So he sold me um, a Toyota SUV. He was the, the finance guy, uh, finance and insurance, which really is a sales position. Mm-hmm. Uh, they only make their money when they sell insurance and all the add-on products. And I love the conversation I had with them. He was, uh, you know, he didn't know our sales process, but he used it because he's been selling for so many years. It, it's, he figured stuff out yep. and all the same techniques. I and mean, I loved it. He was a, he was a complete natural. So um, I just started corresponding with him, right? Hey, here's what I do. Love to keep in touch. It took us maybe six or seven months to get him on board. Um, another guy I met at the gym, uh, sold, uh, fences, right? So, um, totally different type of sale, but it was in the residential environment and we just, we talked. And I, as I, as I meet those people, I let them know what I do. I'm interested in them. I start to share, uh, really it's a sales process. I start to share what we do and how that might fit, help them get to their goals, right? And why they might be scared to get into it. So I hit them, the motivations, the deal killers, all that stuff. And then they're all ready to go. So I've got four or five people right now. Um, that are just, you know, I get emails every week. Hey, I'm ready to roll whenever you are. I can't wait. Awesome opportunity. So that's how I do it. Now, if you want to systematize that or you have a larger operation, you know, simple. You just use uh, some some simple recruiting tools like Indeed.com. You toss them through assessments. Uh, if you don't have a space for them, you just, you just open it honest with them. Hey, this is a heck of a position. You're perfect for it. I don't have space for you right now, but do you mind if we just stay in contact? If, if our timelines meet up, if you happen to be looking and I'm meeting, I would love to see if this could work out. And you just keep them that way. So uh, that's how I do it. And that's how a lot of people do it. Mm, makes sense. So you're not officially hiring them until you have the position available. Right, right. I don't mislead anyone with, hey, I'm, I'm hiring for this position today. Um, I just, I put all my cards out on the table and you'll find that really top performers, they don't mind that. They've always got their, their eyes open and their ears open because they want to get to that next level. Mm-hmm. When they hear about an opportunity, um, it doesn't have to be a today opportunity. Really, even when you look at it from that perspective, most people who are looking for jobs, it's tough to find really, really top talent there because top talent really excels where they're at. And, and once they hit the top there, someone else is plucking them up and bringing them, plucking them out and bringing them into their organization. So, um, you know, if you've got a sales manager, their job should be to be constantly on the lookout for new talent. Now, occasionally you have to look for people who are looking for jobs mm-hmm. um, or headhunt, right? But, but really, if you're not just going the traditional route of looking for people who are looking for jobs, you're going to get much better talent at the top end of that funnel. So... What have you seen or what, what would you kind of ballpark um, the difference in conversion is between that person who you've had on board for the, that you've been thinking about letting go for the six months versus that person who, who the ideal hire is like um, if they're going on say, you know, 10 or 20 face to faces, like what would the difference in conversion be? Yeah. I mean, at a minimum, probably double. Uh, I mean, it really, there's a lot of variables there, right? Of course, I, yeah, of course. I'm talking just high level ballpark. Yeah, how qualified those appointments are. And all no, kind of 
crazy stuff, but, um, you know, essentially double would probably be the floor, right? If you're going on 10 and your person, 10 appointments and your person's getting one, uh, a person who's really qualified to be in that position is probably gonna get two, three or four, mm. uh, just depending on, again, there's different variables and how good they actually are, but it, it it's a massive difference. Um, mm-hmm. just get, I mean, just think about it. It's, 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 it's like, it's almost as if, um, a bad salesperson compared to a good salesperson is just like this. If your marketing is letters and on those letters, you're just making an offer on the letter that you send out and hoping a contract comes back. That's like a poor salesperson, right? Yeah. They're out there. They're making contacts. They're making offers. Mm-hmm. But once you get that letter back, if you send any human body out there just to chat with them about their situation and then make that offer, you're going to get a much better conversion rate. So I look at poor salespeople as you might as well just be sending out a blind offer and just really ramp up the front end of your marketing because that's where all your leverage is. You're getting nothing out of the salesperson. Um, so when it, I, that kind of leads to when does it make sense to start hiring salespeople or, right. or sales training or trying to up the, the, the tail end of your funnel. If your marketing's maxed out, and you can't really pull more leads into the top end of the funnel. The only way you're going to build your business or make more money is if you start converting more of those leads. And now that's going to make sense to start shifting focus away from marketing, not away from marketing, but, but start to share the focus with, all right, now that we got marketing dialed in, how do I make sure my conversions are where they need to be? You're, you're talking literally to me about my exact specific situation. My marketing is, I'm serious. My marketing is ramped up pretty much as high as it can go, right? Like dollar wise and contact wise and all that. So my focus for 2018 is to get everybody to convert higher. And I know what you're saying. Like I've seen it in my own business. So we, we generate about a hundred face-to-face appointments a week. So we see an enormous difference between one person and another. Some of them I can't do anything about. So some of them are appointments that are generated by by agents themselves. It's not my lead. They're cold calling. They're prospecting. But what we're what we're doing on that end is for the people who have a lower conversion, we're trying to get them to pair up with people who have a higher conversion so that they can kind of either in some cases have the more experienced person close or in some cases just have them learn. And that's yeah. kind of what what we're trying to to work on right now. But it definitely does make make an enormous difference. Yeah. So um, the the average person that, that's kind of working with you, do they already have a salesperson or two salespeople, or are they just thinking about adding a salesperson onto their team typically? Yeah. So typically, if we look at our, our client base for the sales training, um, most of them have a sales force, at least one or two salespeople. Uh, some are owner-led sales um, that are kind of at a, a higher level. Um, but, but they're all established uh, real estate investors. Um, we don't work with anyone who's new to the game. Everyone's been marketing. They produce leads. They or their team are running appointments. They've got a solid business already. Um, and they get to that point where they say, all right, I've got a lot of this figured out, whether I'm running the sales calls or someone else. But if we can just tweak conversions, 5 10 15%, that translates into a whole lot of numbers on, on the bottom line. So... We, we don't, you know, and that was a mistake I made. I, when we got into this, I was feeling out the niche and, and yep. we looked at new investors as, you know, kind of one of our um, target markets. Yep. The target market. We had no, I mean, zero traction at all. And we realized, duh, I mean, I, I can't believe I missed it. I was going, well, they don't have a conversion problem yet because they're not even running appointments. So zero out of zero, I could get them to be great salespeople, still going to be zero, right? 
So we don't work with anyone until they, they really have the other pieces dialed in. So now let's, let's have a hypothetical. Say that you are a one-man investing operation, which a lot of people are. A lot of people are, are doing the marketing. They're going on in the appointments. Um, there are a lot of successful people that do it exactly like that, have always done it like that. Um, if you're somebody who is that one-man operation, you're going out, you're closing the deals, but you don't love sales. Um, you maybe don't think you're that great at it. Would it be better in your opinion, strategically for that person to go through your system and try to learn how to do the sales? Or at that point immediately, would you go to hire your first person? Yeah, it really depends on, well, number one, I've identified, do you not like it? Cause it's just, you don't know what you're doing and it's really uncomfortable. Sometimes that, there's things that, really yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I was hitting on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there's things we don't like because we don't know how to do it, right? I hate golf. I think I would love golf if I knew how to play because I love being outdoors and all that stuff. When I try to go hit that ball, I, I don't even make contact and it's so frustrating. But I know if I, if I could actually, if I knew the mechanics, I'd love it. So there's that, right? So figuring out, hey, is it just that I don't know what I'm doing or do I really dislike sales or talking to people, right? Um, if it's just a mechanics part, we can train on that. And we can also make that sales call a lot more comfortable than it might be now. Because a lot of investors, if they're not, if they don't have things dialed in on the sales side, they're probably getting a lot of upset people, can, you know, called names in some cases, right? Just depending on how. Um, if, you're, if you're not getting called names as an investor, you're not marketing. Right, right. So, and especially sales and making low offers, it's common. Now there's ways around all that where you can really, you know, establish a tremendous amount of rapport. And and even when you're making low offers, having them accept it, say, hey, it's okay. And there's ways to do that. But Mm -hmm. at at your core, if you don't like talking to people, you need to hire that thing out. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you don't like talking to people, you might even be good at the sales part. But eventually, you're going to get burnt out, right? You're yeah. going to absolutely hate it, and then your results will slide. So I guess, I guess the answer to the question really comes down to, um, more than anything else, is it something you halfway enjoy or is it something you despise? If you despise it, outsource it. Mm. And what is that? I, I know, obviously, this is going to be different over the you know three, four, five hundred 500 clients that you have. How are they typically paying for that acquisitions person? like most commonly yeah yeah so most common um it's pure commission position yeah sometimes somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of the deal um usually hud to hud um with a lot of them will also back out marketing costs and stuff like that to to recoup but really at the end of the day it ends up somewhere between 10 and 20 percent commission on, on on the net of the deal um now though i am seeing more and more starting to pay a minimal base salary or a ramp up salary to get some higher level talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the fears that brings some, that keeps some really good people from coming on board is that transition. Yeah. So sometimes. Yeah. Uh, hide to, hide to hug can sometimes be a while. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes that transition, you know, it'll be a low base salary, just enough to pay bills and make sure no one freaks out. Uh, the, the most common number I see is 2000 a month. It's going to fluctuate on markets and things like that. Uh, but then also a lot of investors are moving towards a model where it's um, basically a decreasing draw. Month one, X amount of dollars. Month two, X amount of dollars. Month three, X amount of dollars. Um, so, so they can go to all commission. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also a hybrid system that works out really well um, that we stole from another industry. Uh, some work we did in the uh, timeshare industry. 
timeshare industry is, is a lot of similarities um, and it's an all commission industry, but the timeshare industry has tremendous turnover because it's a, it's a tough job. It's a high paying job if you can do it, but very few people can do it. But they had, so they had a, a terrible time recruiting and keeping people on. So they went to a model where they would let their salesperson choose, do you want salary low commission or all commission? And what, what happens is most pick salary plus commission because the comfort level. So it allows them to recruit a lot more people and some better talent. But what happens is after one or two deals, the ones who are going to be successful, they look at their paycheck and say, wow, I made this. I basically left 10, 20, 30,000 on the table because I wasn't all commission. They voluntarily go to all commission and they love all commission. They don't feel like they're forced into it. So what happens is they recruit a lot more people. The cream rises to the top and self-elects to go to an all commission type of pay plan. Uh, so I like that. It, it's a really cool way to handle that, you know, the pay scenario. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. We we pay on the first HUD because I don't I don't want I don't want the person going out there acquiring the deal for me, reliant on what my budget is, how well I do on the deal. Like I want to be able to give them my number and I also don't want them to have to wait. So if there's a construction delay, there's this, there's that. Now it's like, well, that didn't have anything to do with how good of a salesperson they were. Um, right. So for me, you know, I want them to, to hit my number and I want to pay them as soon as possible so that they get that instant gratification of feeling really good about getting that deal. But yeah. um, the way you're talking about doing it um, is definitely the HUD to HUD piece of it is, is probably in some cases the way that some people have to do it depending upon their cash flow. So you may not be able to afford to do it the way I'm talking about doing it. And that's a way to kind of bridge the gap. Right, right. And in some of them, it is a real quick turn. Um, I mean, also depends on who's doing it. Is the salesperson also doing the dispositions? What kind of control do they have? And then part of it, you know, we work with some companies that have their lists really dialed in. So basically when the deal comes in, it is sold and that thing's closed within. Well, you know what, you know what, I I kind of, um, what I said isn't totally accurate because I'm thinking about people that, because I, I basically fix and flip everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of people, probably more people wholesale than fix and flip. So you're, you're talking about a wholesale, which is a lot quicker. Yeah, absolutely. So um, all of this stuff sounds awesome. And obviously, um, you know, I bought into it. Can you kind of give, well, I mean, I, I like it. I mean, you know, I'm, I, if I, if I hated it, I wouldn't have you on. So yeah. Um, so I like it. I think it's very valuable. Um, tell the listeners kind of like what it looks like to be a client of yours and, you know, how to best contact you. Yeah. So best way to contact us is through our website, uh, websites, midwestrev.com. That's, that's Midwest R E V as in revenue.com. Um, and on there, um, you know, the, we've got all of our programs laid out. We do boot camps and, and live events. We do the online training, um, and there's walkthroughs where you can see where all the, what all the training consists of and examples like that. So if anyone's interested, they can hop online and actually see in the training portal and, and what we do. But from a very high level, uh, what we do um, for our, kind of our signature product, the online product, is we've got an online portal. All of our stuff is in there. Previous trainings, live training sessions we have are in there. Um, recorded training calls and, and real life sales calls are in there, whether it's you know lead managers on the phone or people buying houses. Um, in, in real life, though, we record and critique those as well. So it's just a wealth of knowledge and it breaks down kind of the steps to a sales process, all the advanced techniques and tactics you kind of need to know along the way. 
And uh, people, some people do that on demand. If you're like me, you get something that you just devour it all. Uh, but we break it up into weekly chunks. So we have homework and say, hey, you know, group this week, your homework is this lesson. Watch these videos. It'll give you a good base understanding of, of, of this sales concept or, or tactic. And then once a week, we hop on the phone together and we do a couple of things. We make sure, hey, do you understand this? And then we start talking about how in the world are you going to apply this in, in your world? And, you know, uh, and we start to talk about the application piece of it. So the online portal is more about knowledge. The live sessions are more about application. How do we, how do we actually apply that, that new knowledge? Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. So yeah, like when you, you, I initially signed on, you said, oh, you might not want to jump into this week or whatever. And I'm like, I'm going through all the old content. I mean, I, I don't have, I personally, I don't have the patience to be like, okay, 11, 11 o'clock this week, I'm going to be hopping on this call. It's just like not my personality. Yeah. So I went through, I went through everything, but after I went through everything, I'm like, I have to go through everything again because there's a lot to know. And now we're trying to, um, you know, push some of your content out to my team and get my team on board. Any yeah. tips and tricks for that? So how do you, how do you take people that never had a process before and tell them that this is kind of where we're headed? Yeah. So, so the first thing is, is, um, you know, if I were in your shoes and I had my content, what I would do is say, Hey, watch the video, the, the, the kickoff video on how and why people buy, because first you got to understand how do people make decisions? How do they make buying decisions? or selling decisions, right? It's really a sale, but it's kind of funny in this industry because you're the one buying, but how do they make those decisions? Mm -hmm. uh, once you understand really what drives those behaviors, then we can start talking about, okay, how do we help somebody get to that decision? So I would say first understand, you know, watch the kickoff video, watch how and why people buy or make decisions. And then I would just chunk it up real small, not throw everything at them at one time, but just say, hey, listen, First thing you get, do everything the same you've always been doing, but make this one change. At the beginning, take 30 seconds to relieve some of that pressure and kind of set up that stage. You'll see yeah. that everything that happens afterwards changes. So let's get good at that. Try that out a few times. And then I take another high impact type of piece. Like, you know what? When you ask them about their motivation, instead of just once I give you an answer, blowing right by it, ask one or two follow-up questions. Just something as simple as really. You know, well, how long have you been dealing with that? Or what's that like? And just see where that conversation goes. And I just, just we'll just start layering it in like that, not trying to throw everything at them because it can be overwhelming. If you look at everything that you can do to up and up and up and up the, your, your efficiency on a sales call, it's overwhelming. So just start with some small high impact pieces. Why do people buy? Throw them the advance agreement. Throw them some impact questions or some picture perfect questions. Um, start tossing in, you know, an expiration at the end where, hey, this offer is only good for today or 24 hours or one week or whatever it is. You start dropping in four or five of those pieces, you'll start to see the results go through the roof. So um, what was going to say, say on that piece, is this all, you know, all these sales tools and strategies, things that like, so I've got a team. So maybe I have 30 people who are in my, actually right before I was on this call with you, we were in our sales meeting. So is this something that can just be taught classroom setting or does there need to be role play? Um, do people need to be critiquing on the appointments? Like how would you kind of go next with that? Right, right. So next, I mean, first you got the base knowledge, right? You got to know. But then once people know, then you're looking at, can, can you actually use it? If you, I like role plays, um, not for probably the reason people think. I like role plays just to see if people have, 
are actually using anything or have actually even thought about it. If you start to role play and people can't wrap three or four words around a concept, you know they haven't even thought it through. They haven't even thought, how would I say this? And you definitely know if they're your salespeople, they've never actually done it on a sales call, right? So that's, I like role play because that gives people a chance to kind of mess up and kind of start to figure out their own words. Because, you know, if anyone just tries to regurgitate my words, it's going to sound horrible. Mm. Even if I write out myself scripts and I go, that's an awesome script. And I try to read it. It doesn't sound right. So you got to have, you got to let people find their own voice. Role play is a really good way to do that. But going to the next level. Uh, once people kind of understand concepts and if I said it or, or did this tactic, this is how it sounds for me, you got to make sure they're applying it. So what we do with um, some of the teams we work one-on-one with or closely with or that I've personally worked with, you know, flown out, we'll record sales calls and we'll sit there and, and that is an awesome way to train is listening. It's uncomfortable as, as you can imagine listening to yourself on a sales call but there's so many light bulbs that go off. I mean, people, yeah. salespeople will fight you tooth and nail. They won't want to do it, but the benefits are massive. When they hear themselves, they'll go, I, I missed that. I, I can't believe I missed this and that, and I, you know, missed this opportunity. They'll start to see stuff because they're removed from the situation. They're not kind of in the heat of battle and they can start to critique themselves objectively. <laughs> um, and it also allows you as, as their coach to coach them effectively. Because it's hard to coach what they said they did. Yep. It's easier to coach what they did. Yeah, yeah. So the most effective way to improve your sales team, bar none, and, and hold them accountable is to actually record sales calls. It is also the most uncomfortable thing and the one thing that people will fight you to the death. But if you really want to get them really good, that's the quickest way to do it. Cool. All right. Can you give us that? It was... Um what was it? Midwestrev.com? Yeah, Midwestrev.com. Uh, Midwest, R-E-V, as in revenue.com. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for, for joining me. And, you know, thank you also provi- for providing the content. Even your free stuff is good. So if people aren't even sure, you know, if they're 100% ready to jump on board, even if you just sign up for his newsletter um, or get on his email, he'll send you some really good tips and tricks, sales stuff. So I actually take some of those, um, those and I copy and paste them into my Facebook group. Okay, and, okay, and it's okay. funny because the first time I did it, um, I was thinking, oh, it was an assumption that this was not me who wrote it. And people were like, Tom, that's awesome. Like, it took you a lot of time to write that. And it was kind of cracking me up. So <laughs> I, I, I haven't yet told them that it's not me. I think some of the people are still under, under the impression that it might be me who's coming up with this stuff. So you're making me look good. Cool, cool, cool. Well, um, hopefully you have lots of success. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for, for joining us. This is Tom Caffarella, and I'll see you guys again next week. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor, and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.